Welcome to the Wholehearted Eating Podcast, where non-diet nutrition, weight-inclusive care, and integrative health collide. We're your hosts, Dana Montes and Christina Hoyt, licensed integrative clinical nutritionists and body image coaches. And we believe you deserve to have a joyful relationship with food in your body, even if you have a chronic health condition or symptoms that just won't quit. On this show, together and with our guests, we're bringing the real talk, no BS5, with tangible tools to help you pursue health and wellness without obsession or restriction. Remember our disclaimer, this podcast is meant for general information purposes only and should not be taken as a substitute for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Hey friends, and welcome back to the Wholehearted Eating Podcast. So on today's episode, we have a very specific topic, and we are interviewing Olivia Haas, a gallbladder and fatty liver specialist nutritionist, so we can dig into all things gallbladder health and the gallbladder and hormones connection. This episode is actually both for people who do and who do not have gallbladders. So we're discussing some of the main reasons why people may have to get their gallbladder removed, the most important things to focus on following a gallbladder surgery, or if you're just trying to support your overall gallbladder health, and why the liver is so important in this equation as well. Just a quick heads up for this episode. So Olivia is not a non-diet practitioner. However, we tried to make sure that the episode was as neutral nutrition and as non-diet as possible, especially because we We both work with a lot of people with gallbladder issues as well. We're also finishing off this episode by giving some advice for how to approach gallbladder health from an add-in approach rather than a restrictive approach. And then very last thing before we get started, if you've been enjoying the show and you're interested in getting bonus content every single month, including bi-weekly non-diet meal plans, an entire year of bonus episodes, and after the episode deep dives and more, check out patreon.com forward slash wholehearted eating. Huge shout out to all of our current Patreon members. Thank you so, so much for continuing to support the show. excited to talk to you today. Um, I feel like the gallbladder is something that's really important that people kind of ignore (laughs) and don't really talk about until it's removed. You know, um, a lot of times I can't tell you how many clients of mine will be telling me about how they're feeling and stuff. And then all of a sudden they'll say, oh yeah, I got my gallbladder removed like 10 years (laughs) ago. I'm like, very casual. I'm like, pump the brakes. Um, So I'm really excited, Olivia, to have you on and talking about this because you specialize in the gallbladder. And so we would love for you to kind of talk a little bit about why is the gallbladder so important? What is it? What does it do? All of the little things, because I feel like everyone's like, yeah, it's that thing. But (laughs) but no one really knows exactly what it does. So we're super excited if you don't mind jumping right in. Oh, only her entire brand. (laughs) (laughs) who knew so many people talking about talking about a gallbladder would be so interesting I remember like my business coach she was like you got to talk about summer like that's such a like even the name of it is just so uh yeah but anyways in full circle it's been an awesome experience working with individuals dealing with gallbladder issues and obviously as most practitioners we fall in love with something because of our own personal experience Um, And that's what led me here to focus on gallbladder nutrition. Um, So the gallbladder for anyone that's uh, not familiar with what it is, and I think most who've gone on a journey of dealing with gallbladder issues, we unfortunately end up sometimes in the urgent care with like what we call gallbladder attack. And we're like, what is this? I didn't even know I had a gallbladder in my body. I've never heard of this. 
Um, and it's because it's often not talked about and too deemed as like an unimportant organ. But the gallbladder is this tiny little organ that resides under um, your upper right quadrant, um, kind of under the liver. And it's part of what we call the whole uh, biliary system or your biliary tract. So it's a series of like ducts, your liver, your gallbladder, and your gallbladder and liver work together to control what we call bile. And bile is what we've learned more and more through cholecystectomy or gallbladder removal is it's this soapy like substance that's made of things like cholesterol, bilirubin, bile acids, phospholipids, water, minerals, things like that. Anyways, it's made in the liver and it passes through um, to the gallbladder. The gallbladder's main job is basically like housing this bile. So it stores it and concentrates it until we have this hormone in our body that signals the gallbladder, hey, you're eating a meal or you're eating lots of fats. Let's tell the gallbladder to contract. And when the gallbladder contracts, it releases bile and um, and it signals your sphincter of body to relax. And um, this starts to the process of fat digestion. And so bile is really, really a main component in making sure that we're digesting our fats well. Um, so the gallbladder plays this important role with this bile flow and bile metabolism in the body. Um, so that's kind of just a summary of what the gallbladder does. It's, uh, I call it a small but mighty organ and it's often painful. If you've dealt with gallbladder issues, you know how painful this little, little organ is in your body and how sometimes, um, trying to manage it and save your gallbladder is very challenging because of the symptoms that come along with it. Yeah. And thank you for explaining that because I feel like, you know, in, in general, people who are interested in health and interested in the body and especially with nutrition, it's like, oh, gallbladders, you know, something we've heard of. But like Christina mentioned before, it doesn't really become something too important until it's like, well, what if I have to have this removed? Or it's interesting to me because even clients that I've worked with who they're like, oh, yeah, like Christina mentioned, oh, yeah, I had my gallbladder out 10 years ago. And it's like, well, what? <laughs> Hold on. Let's go back to that. You know, what happened in there and, you know, how have you been managing it since? And that's what's really interesting to me is people will be like, what do you mean? How am I managing it? I'm like, well, it's kind of an important organ for fat digestion and other things like that. And you know, which we're obviously going to get into, but I'd love if you could talk a little bit more about what does a quote sluggish gallbladder mean? Cause this is one of the terms that's kind of thrown around in different health circles and stuff like that. It's like, Oh, I got a sluggish gallbladder. I got a sluggish liver. Right. So I'd love if you could talk about what a sluggish gallbladder means. And then what are some of the warning signs that this might be something that's going on? Okay. Yep. So I consider a sluggish gallbladder, a gallbladder that's not contracting well. Um, I think everyone may uh, classify it as something different, but that's what I consider it. Basically, it's not contracting well, and it's not um, aiding in that bioflow. Um, a proper diagnosis of it is called biliary dyskinesia, which is diagnosed through a HIDA scan with ejection fraction, where they track how the gallbladder is contracting. Um so a sluggish gallbladder is basically, like I said, where there's some disruption of the bile because we know that the gallbladder is this storage tank for bile. So it stores the, the bile, it concentrates, it releases it out. A sluggish gallbladder may not be releasing that uh, bile out as much as it should be. And we know bile is so essential for fat digestion, 
detoxification, your cholesterol metabolism, it's an antimicrobial. And so when the gallbladder is sluggish, it can lead to all these other symptoms. Um, so you see this a lot with individuals that have a long history of SIBO or small intestinal bacteria overgrowth. They're dealing with a lot of GI issues, poor detoxification because there's an issue with that drainage and detoxification due to the bile. Um, so that's what I consider sluggish gallbladder, um, or if, if you want proper diagnosis, it's called biliary dyskinesia, um, where the gallbladder contracts anything less than some people say less than 40%, less than 35, 32%. I've heard like a mix of things from different medical offices. Um, anyways, typically it will start to result in symptoms of feeling nauseous with fatty foods, intolerance to fatty foods. And sometimes this can be um, even healthy fats like avocado, nuts, eggs, beef. And um, typically individuals will have, um, may experience other GI symptoms like heartburn and burping, lots of bloating and gas, especially with fats. Um, and then they may experience uh, upper right quadrant pain um, where they start to notice a lot of lingering there. Individuals with biliary dyskinesia, they might start to feel more spasms um, and some lingering tenderness, tender pain up there. Sometimes it's almost like someone's poking you with a pen is what I describe it. Um, very uncomfortable. And then obviously, like those are some common GI symptoms um, you may start to develop because of that impaired bioflow. We're not digesting our fats well. We have a disruption of blood sugar balance, hormone imbalance, um, dry skin, brittle nails. All of these things can come from the poor digestion of fats and that impaired bioflow. And then obviously, if uh, depending on the individual, like, you know, the gallstone sludge or um, what rate their uh, gallbladder is contracting at, they may start to experience what we call gallbladder attacks. And these are on a different level of typical GI symptoms. So typically an individual may start to feel nauseous and then they get vomiting and a fever. They may have diarrhea and then it follows with um, an intense upper right quadrant pain that it's like you have to, there's no other way to describe it where you're just like bent over in pain um, and you just have to kind of breathe through it. A lot of females compare it to being worse than labor is how painful it is. So that's, that's kind of what a sluggish gallbladder is um, and what typical symptoms or early signs of that your gallbladder needs a little bit of support. That's really interesting. And I, I, I'm i glad that you kind of clarified what it means to have a sluggish liver. I mean, sluggish gallbladder, <laughs> because people use those terms kind of like haphazardly. And it's really great to know that one, there is actually a medical term. And two, what does that look like? And what does that actually mean? And then so I really appreciate you kind of laying that out for everybody who's listening. One thing that I thought was really interesting is on your Instagram, you did a reel where it's where you said, you know, poor gallbladder health is not just a gallbladder issue. And I'd love for you to dive into that because we think of it so much as now that you're putting all this connection together between the different organs, we might be able to start to see that a little bit more. But could you mm -hmm. describe a little bit more about what inspired that post and how does that all fit in and how does the gallbladder fit in? Yeah, totally. So I, working with, you know, mostly gallbladder clients, I think the biggest miss is that a lot of times people just focus on the gallbladder and they're like, 
this is my gallbladder. This is my gallbladder causing issues. And we're not taking into consideration that your body is all connected. It's not just about the gallbladder. And so typically when someone's diagnosed with gallbladder issues, it's like, okay, you have gallbladder disease, cut your organ out. We're not considering the fact of all the things that contribute to the gallbladder dysfunction in the first place. And we know typically, especially with gallstones and sludge, there's an issue with that bile production in the first place. And so a lot of times, a lot of practitioners believe gallbladder issues are actually a liver issue um, because of that bile creating that, or the the liver creating that saturated bile, which ends up forming in most cases, cholesterol gallstones, which is the most uh, common form of gallstones. But when we look at a gallbladder diagnosis, we really have to consider all the factors that contributed to the gallbladder um, issue in the first place. The gallbladder is kind of like a bystander organ. And so uh, it's these imbalances that contributed to the poor function or the gallstones and sludge is not just a gallbladder issue. It typically is a result of longstanding stress from our diet, our lifestyle, environmental factors. Sure, like genetics and you know age and the fact that we're females and we may be dealing with, uh, you know, we're in our fertile years, perimenopause, menopause, we're gonna deal with more gallbladder issues more common. That's a known fact because of the hormone connection to the gallbladder. But there's so many factors that can contribute to it. Um, low stomach acid, uh, constipation, and extreme fast weight loss can contribute to it. Um, different medications, a big one that we don't talk about is crazy is birth control and how, um, you know, women are already predisposed to a higher risk of gallbladder issues, yet we're prescribing birth control on a regular basis. Um, that's another big one. Um, other things could be insulin resistance, um, other types of medication, long-term use of PPIs, um, hormone replacement therapy, what's going on in your microbiome, your parasites, H. pylori, inflammation in general, candida, lack of exercise, uh, thyroid dysfunction or history of thyroid dysfunction is huge. And then of course, pregnancy, perimenopause, menopause. So when we say the gallbladder issue is not just a gallbladder issue is because there are many factors over the years, many things that contribute to, let's say, gallstone formation. Gallstones typically don't form overnight. Maybe pregnancy, sure, because of the hormones, the estrogen and progesterone, but um, they build up over time. And this is one thing that we have to really peel back the onion. And when we have a gallbladder diagnosis, we have to address these different causes, especially if we're working to save our gallbladder. And a lot of times these connection points, uh, like I said, reside, uh, are often due to an issue stemming in the liver because our liver is what, uh, when we take like a top-down approach, it's what's creating that saturated bile in the first place. And then you compile that with poor gallbladder motility or contraction, a sluggish gallbladder, and you have a recipe for gallstone and sludge formation, which is the most common um, gallbladder diagnosis. Yeah. I love talking about the liver because it's so important in so many things. It's funny because when you were talking, it's kind of like 
how could we, especially as women, how could we not be predisposed to having gallbladder issues, you know, given all of the things that you just listed? Because I guarantee everyone who's listening is like, well, I've definitely had at least one of those things before. So does it mean I have gallbladder issues? You know, Mm -hmm. and this is not meant to be a like, everybody has gallbladder issues. Like you have to go check this out right now. This is more of like, have you thought you might have gallbladder issues? Or if you don't have a gallbladder and you're listening to this episode, obviously this is going to be very helpful for you. But speaking Mm -hmm. of that, I love that you also did another real I can't remember if it was recently or we do we all we like to do some deep digging before we make our questions and stuff Mm -hmm. for the episodes I love how you also talked about that liver health is not only really important to focus on when you do have a gallbladder and when you think you might be having issues or just like in general it's helpful to focus on liver health right but you also mentioned that like even if you don't have a gallbladder the liver is still the number one thing to focus on so can you talk about why that's the case too yeah, um, because after gallbladder removal, um, obviously your body's still going to produce bile. So your liver is still producing bile. The change is that we no longer have this gallbladder there to store it and concentrate it. So in most cases, there's a loss of concentrated bile after. And that change in your biometabolism can lead to uh, other disruptions in the body, right? So we know bile is main job is fat digestion and but it also is a form of detoxification so it helps to pull out things like excess estrogen cholesterol bile toxins from the body if we're not releasing that stuff out typically that's where the liver which is already taxed is going to struggle to do its main job detoxification and so a lot of times individuals after gallbladder removal they'll start to complain of symptoms like um, weight gain uh fatigue that upper right quadrant pain becomes super or the upper right quadrant became becomes tender um maybe there's signs of high cholesterol high triglycerides um, uh, and then acne starting to develop. And, and then there's a diagnosis of fatty liver. So we know through gallbladder removal, the liver becomes taxed, not only because of this change in bile, um, specifically individuals that go through gallbladder removal, there's a higher risk of what we call metabolic syndrome and fatty liver because of this change in bile, because your liver becomes more taxed, it's largely due to the detoxification and then obviously we have the health of your microbiome, um, which can be a result of the change of bile, many other things, but your your gut and liver connect to each other. And so if there's any bacteria imbalance going on in your gut, you have your liver stressed out. And so we know leaky gut or intestinal permeability has a higher risk of fatty liver. Um, so that being said, that's typically where like most individuals, even though we remove our gallbladder, when we still got to recognize that um, a very important organ is still needs a ton of support. And because the liver is a main component of why gallbladder issues develop, removing the gallbladder doesn't um, change the fact that your liver still needs a lot of support. And um it, giving your liver lots of supports, continuing to optimize that bioflow can go a long way in preventing a lot of uh, GI symptoms, uh, fatty liver post-op, hormone imbalances, things like that. I was going to say, <laughs> I was just having this like very vivid picture in my head when you were talking about this, Olivia. I was like, 
oh, we've basically lost one of the employees. Like the the company, uh-huh. the brain is basically like, oh, you know, we have to let this person go. But like liver, we're not giving you a raise. We're just expecting you to do all of the jobs mm-hmm. of this other employee that we're letting go as well. And the liver is like, are you kidding me? Like I'm burnt out. I already have so many different jobs to do. Like what? how am I supposed to handle all of this? Yeah. That Dana, I'm so glad you said that because that's literally what I was thinking too. <laughs> We've been doing this for such a long time that we now know how each other operate because I was literally thinking the same thing yeah. as well. I was honestly, as you were talking about it, I was thinking, okay, great, cool. Let's let's take the gallbladder out because it's on fire. So yeah, let's get it out of there because it's causing a lot of issues. But let's ignore what caused the fire to begin with and just give you ox vial to make it a little bit easier, which like Yes, you want to make sure that things are easier, but as like one of our favorite things to say is yes and, you know, yes, we want to support it. And we also maybe want to get to, especially if you're someone who wants to follow a root cause approach, we have to think what led to the gallbladder getting to this place and then how can we support all of the organs and functions that led to that? Because then you have to be thinking like, I guess I, I left thinking like, okay, great. So now we have this like not so great soapy bile hanging out (laughs) and we're expecting it to do the job without the gallbladder support to provide more at the same time, which makes sense that you would then lead to all of these different things. And then you're taxing the liver and you're getting fatty liver. Like it just makes, it makes so much sense the way that you put it together. And I really appreciate the way that you laid it out because I think people do, they think like I've literally heard family members say, Take that gallbladder out. Don't need it anymore. And I'm like, whoa, no one explained anything (laughs) to Uh you, (laughs) you know? And it's like, wait a minute, we have to like take a beat and find out why are we removing like a major organ, you know, and, and to think about like what led to that. So I really appreciate that perspective. And I find it hilarious, Dana, that we were thinking the exact same thing. Yes, I like (laughs) that. I meant I'm going to for sure use that and explain it that way to clients. <laughs> yeah. I, I also think too, like, I think something that's like really lesser, lesser discussed because we know so much, or at least if like you're in this field, right? We know the liver gallbladder connection, but a little bit less is the hormone connection between the gallbladder and hormones and how that leads. And I find that to be really fascinating and something that I didn't really know that much about. It makes sense given now that I'm like stepping and thinking more about the liver's function in it, but I don't think about the gallbladder all that much. Um, but because I work with a lot of clients with eating disorders, so it's a little bit a little bit different, but that doesn't mean that they can't lead to this too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah, I'm just really curious of like your thought pattern around the hormones and gallbladder connection because it's not something that's talked about a lot and I'd love to hear your thoughts around that. Yes, totally. So yeah, it's definitely not talked about enough, especially the fact that most women are at a higher risk of gallbladder issues due to our hormones. But why it's not discussed, I don't know. Um, I think it's like the biggest miss uh, when people have a gallbladder diagnosis is not like, hey, you know, this could be because of your hormones, right? You're you're in your fertile years, maybe, maybe perimenopause, menopause, and you develop gallbladder issues. Well, what's what's going on? What's the change? And a large part of that is your hormones. Um, so I think for any female with a history of gallbladder issues, with or without a gallbladder, should be focused 
focusing on their hormones should be discussing it and looking into this further. Um, so just to give you background, I'll talk about like the three main ones that um, really contribute to, um, in this case, a lot of times, um, uh, the gallstones and sludge. Uh, so we know estrogen. Um, estrogen as well, birth control has been known for many years to contribute to gallbladder issues, gallstones. Um, so estrogen, basically when it's in excess or estrogen dominance, it drives the liver to produce um, more cholesterol uh, to bile salts. Um, it can also reduce gallbladder motility. So when there's that change in bile composition, when there's higher amounts of cholesterol to bile salts in the bile, it becomes very thick. And we really want thin bile to continue that bile flow from the liver to the gallbladder. Um, and then you have a reduction in gallbladder motility. It leads to that bile just sitting in your gallbladder and becoming very saturated and very extra soapy. And um, when the, when it remains in the gallbladder for too long, you have that higher risk of gallstones to start to develop or what we call sludge. Sludge is kind of the precursor for gallstones. Um, and this is why gallbladder issues are more common during pregnancy um, is because due to that increased estrogen levels. Um, so it's just something that we want to be aware of. And then you have also progesterone. Progesterone, the exact connection is still, there's a lot of research that still needs to be done here. But um, we do know that progesterone has uh, effect on um, the gallbladder function and the sphincter of Audi, which can affect that gallbladder motility. So when we say sluggish gallbladder or biliary dyskinesia, um, it can affect the motility during pregnancy and menopause. So when you combine um, a poor function gallbladder, sluggish gallbladder, and saturation of bile, you have perfect recipe for cholesterol gallstones. Um, the other biggest one is your thyroid. And so there's a bi-directional relationship actually between the gallbladder and thyroid hormones. And it's very common individuals with hypothyroidism and Hashimoto's have gallbladder issues. Um, and there's a, several reasons why. Uh, one is, is partially due when we see the lack of T4. This can increase risk of uh, gallbladder issues through, again, that um, poor cholesterol liver metabolism. So causing that, uh, changing that composition of bile, which causes it to thicken and increase risk of gallstones. You have decreased bile flow, so increased risk of constipation, further gallbladder risk. And then you have poor gallbladder motility, poor sphincter of Audi, which all affect the bile flow, the bile output. Um, so you have a combo of poor gallbladder motility and again, that bile saturation. And then we know on the flip side, the gallbladder can affect the thyroid because of poor detoxification, blood sugar imbalance, that fat malabsorption. So not digesting our fats, absorbing them well, affecting your hormone health, thyroid function, that conversion of T4, T3, also blood sugar dysregulation, um, poor gut health, um, can result due to that impaired bioflow, either from the gallbladder being full of stones or biliary dyskinesia, or sluggish gallbladder. And we know that a large part of our thyroid health resides also in our microbiome. So these are the three main ones that I think need to be addressed with um, any female or any, you know, in general, when you have a gallbladder diagnosis is at least looking at these um, first. I think one of the things that I find to be the most infuriating, not about what you're saying, 
is the lack of support that individuals get when they go to their GI doctor and start to go through this process. A lot of times I feel like they, it's like, okay, well, we're just going to take your gallbladder out. You're having a severe attack and there's no root cause support or even guidance or advice afterwards on like what you should do or what led to this. I know a lot of my clients will say to me, how did I, how did this happen? Like, I don't get it. Like, how did I end up here? How do I, like, I guess I can't prevent it from happening again because my gallbladder's gone. So like, Mm -hmm. I think sometimes people are left kind of like, I guess that's it. Like, and I feel like it's really unfortunate because there's so much as a, as an after effect that can happen as a result that you just laid out, especially if you are a female, if you are on hormonal birth control and you have all these other factors that are going on, it can feel kind of like after the fact being like, oh, well, now I have Hashimoto's or I have hypothyroidism. Now I have higher cholesterol. Now I have, you know, all these other things. I have fatty liver. And you might blame your body size or different types of aspects around that when really the writing was on the wall that you were going to be leading to these types of things for quite a while that if we had known or had been supported earlier on by our physicians around our liver health, how to support that, what are the the, the harms around hormonal birth control for such a long period of time and what that can look like. I think a lot of clients would be, a lot of people would be left feeling a lot less like, oh, great, it's me. Like, I'm a problem. Where it's like, no, really, we just didn't have the tools to support the root cause of what was leading all of this to happen as like this trickle down effect that you really laid out really beautifully of, Okay, so here's how it goes. Ding, 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 ding. Here how it goes back and forth between each other. And then here's the downward, you know, ripple effect of what's happening and how our gallbladder is the thing that people see because they're in so much pain. You know, people get blown off and don't get the support they need until they're bowled over and they're in the emergency room and because of their nausea. And it's like, oh, like, all of a sudden, now it's time to get it removed. What are some of the most important things that someone can focus on? I think I know where you're going to go with this, but what are some of the most important things to focus on if the jig is up, the gallbladder is gone, and we've lit, we've gotten to this point? What can we do now to support ourselves without being highly restrictive or shaming on ourselves and things like that? How can we support our overall system like, and understand how it led to here and then what we can do to support some of those other risk factors that come up as a result of having it removed? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you made a very good point that um, the issue lies in the support, right? And there's not to say there are amazing doctors out there. I've had a lot of clients have amazing doctors that have provided resources for them, but a majority of them don't have that care. A majority of them have to like step out and be an advocate for their own health and try to seek out different practitioners um, to help them. And that's where, uh, you know, obviously they end up coming to me or other practitioners that have dealt with that know the experience or know what to do to support the body without a gallbladder. Um, so I think, you know, the support is the number one thing that 
especially with post-op care, that really needs to be emphasized and improved. Um, working, unfortunately, I do mostly work with post-op individuals. Most individuals end up doing gallbladder removal, unfortunately, because of um, the attacks, the pain, not knowing that there's other options for them too. Um, but that being said, if you remove your gallbladder, there's no shame, there's no guilt in removing it. Um, it's just, we want to be aware of the fact that even though we remove our gallbladder, we still want to support our body. We want to focus on improving our health. Um, you may have been told from your doctor, you removed your organ, go eat whatever you want, which unfortunately is the worst advice. And one of the most common advice that post-op patients are given is that they can go enjoy whatever food they want after surgery. This is the worst advice because it ends up leading to a lot of GI issues, a lot of chronic diarrhea, uh, fatty liver. And so what the best thing you can do is after you remove your gallbladder is not have a mindset like, yay, I'm free. I can do whatever I want. It's continuing to work on improving your health and giving your body what it needs without the gallbladder. And in a lot of cases, if you're someone who has a history of a lot of GI issues, a lot of hormone imbalances, co continuing to work on those problems and addressing those causes of it. Um, and this is also important when you consider the fact that you have a history of a gallbladder diagnosis is it is important that you continue to work on the cause even after gallbladder surgery. Uh, especially if you're struggling with a lot of GI issues and a lot of hormone imbalances post-op. Remove the mindset that you have to stay on a low-fat diet forever too. Um, a lot of times what individuals will do on their gallbladder journey is they get afraid of fat. If you're afraid of fats, I would 100% work with an individual to help you build the confidence back to where you can enjoy healthy fats again, work on uh, supporting that bile. Uh, the number one thing is we want to support that bile and that bile starts in your liver. And then when we talk about how to support the bile better is looking at certain things in the diet that can help support your liver. So maybe incorporating some bitter foods, that's great to help promote bile flow, um, help support liver detoxification. So those are things like radish, dandelion, parsley, cilantro, lemon. Um, so those are great things to emphasize in the diet. Um, in some cases, for some individuals, uh, supplementing with a bile salt, so ox bile or tudka. Now, one thing to note is that bile salts do have to be individualized after surgery. So they don't work for everybody. Um, in some cases, for some individuals, they can promote more diarrhea. So if you're not sure if they're working for your body, if you're having a negative reaction, it's important, I again, work with a practitioner to provide you an individualized supplement regimen to help support the digestion of fats. Um, some cases, some individuals, you can use digestive bitters, which is a combination of obviously different herbs. So our cholagog, choleretic herbs that help support that bioflow, help support liver, liver detoxification. So those can be used as well. It's funny because when you were saying like the number one thing you can do for liver support, being the gut specialist that I am, I was like, make sure you're pooping every day. Oh, that's <laughs> like yeah. the number one thing. Uh-huh. Oh my gosh. Exactly. Is one, make sure you're pooping every day, which is actually a hard <laughs> task for a lot of people with gallbladder issues. Constipation can be common. Um, so, and people don't realize um, the number one uh, thing that can really support liver detoxification is addressing your bowels. 
I'm really curious because you laid out a lot of really like interesting thoughts and, you know, knowledge around a lot of this um, around gallbladder health and supporting our liver and all of the different aspects and how this impacts a lot of people that listen to our podcast as women. I'm curious because a lot of the people that listen to our podcast really care about their overall health, um, but they have a tendency to be super restrictive or actually want to avoid being super restrictive and all or nothing mo- modalities too. And sometimes we can, because I work with a lot of people with eating disorders and it's hard for someone with an eating disorder to hear this and then say, I'm doing all the gallbladder things now. And it's like, that's their new, their new focus. And it's like, I have to do all of this stuff now. I'm thinking about people that um, we tend to think of as like people who chase wellness too, of like, okay, now I need to do all these things. And it's important to to think about how all of our how all of our organs function together and how we want to prevent a gallbladder removal because who wants to have a major a major surgery or go through the amount of pain that leads to that diagnosis. But one of the things that I'm really curious about your thoughts are is if what are some things that someone could work on adding in instead of taking like an overall approach of like, I'm going to remove all of these different things and like feeling like they need to clean out their entire pantry. What are some things that you think like if there's one thing that someone could work on adding into their lifestyle that could be really supportive for their long-term gallbladder and liver health, what would you suggest that that would be? Oh boy. And I understand this a hundred percent. I have a history of eating disorder, so it could, (laughs) I get, a hundred percent where this is coming from. Um, and it can be so overwhelming and you made up a good point that, you know, people go on this wellness journey and then they get a gallbladder diagnosis and they're like, what do I need to do to specifically support the gallbladder? And you don't, uh, the stuff that you probably are already doing is probably helping in a long way. I would say the number one thing that I would prioritize first is your fiber intake. Um, uh, we know, um, that low fiber diets are what contribute to gallbladder issues. Fiber is what's so important to binding to that excess estrogen, cholesterol, pulling it out through bile. It's important to help normalize that bile, um, which is the main issue for things like cholesterol, gallstones, and sludge. So I would say the number one thing is make sure that you're getting adequate fiber and uh, your, your fiber intake for the day. If you struggle with fiber um, due to intolerances, which this can be very common for individuals, is going back to looking at um, what's going on with your microbiome, right? Um, But I would say the number one thing is the prioritizing fiber. Yeah. And even if you do struggle with fiber, there are different fibers that have been studied for IBSD and C. So we can work with that. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) exactly. Cool. Well, thank you so much, Olivia, for coming on. We really appreciate all of your expertise and clearly you're extremely knowledgeable about gallbladder and liver stuff and everything like that. So we really appreciate you coming on. Um, Before you go, can you tell everyone where they can find you on Instagram, your website and all of that? Yes, totally. And thank you for having me and spreading um, all this knowledge about gallbladder health. I appreciate it. Um, so first, uh, I'm mostly on Instagram at gallbladder.nutritionist. Um, so that's a good place to start. My website is gallbladderdiet.com. Um, but all of my resources are mostly on my Instagram page. So I work with individuals who are trying to save their gallbladder or are struggling after gallbladder surgery with a lot of digestive issues like constipation, bloating, diarrhea, um, fatty liver. Uh, so 
there's loads of resources in my bio um, that I would say the best place to start is first starting with my Instagram at gallbutter.nutritionist. Great. Thank you so much. Hey friends, it's Dana and thanks so much for listening to the Wholehearted Eating Podcast today. Find us on social media at Wholehearted Eating Pod on Instagram and at wholeheartedeating.com for more information about working with Dana and Christina for one-on-one nutrition counseling. If you love the show, we would love you forever if you'd share an episode with your family and friends or tag us on social media or leave a five-star rating or review wherever you listen to podcasts to help more people find the show. Check out patreon.com slash wholehearted eating to help support the show and get access to ad-free episodes, bonus episodes with us and our guests, episode discussions, new resources we're creating for Patreon, and so much more. If you have questions for us, feedback on the show, potential topics or guests you'd love to have on, shoot us an email at hello at wholeheartedeating.com and we'll see you next week.